Here we go on a Monday night time. Friday on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a great show once again tonight. So much to talk about. And usually me and Ira have a little back and forth as we start it off. But we've got to get right to our guest tonight. He's Tom D'Angelo from the Palm Beach Post. Been writing uh, here in Florida for, I don't want to date you, Tom, but you got a couple of decades here. Everyone knows you. Thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Uh, I appreciate it. More than, more than a couple. Double that. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, uh, Ira? Tom, it's a pleasure to have you on the show tonight. And one of the reasons I like to have you on is that I love reading your stories because unlike a lot of writers that just say, you know, golf is such a sport that who's leading, how many under par, over par, you really go into these golfers and some we don't know about. And many who, have, of course, are from Jupiter or from this area in the Palm Beach County. But you give the background in your stories. And I love learning about Mita Pereira and about how the fact when he moved to the area, he didn't think he could afford to live in Palm Beach County. But some of these small little tidbits that I think are interesting. So I really like how you you bring the backstories to a lot of these golfers. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, uh, thank you very much for those words. I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I love doing that. I mean, I've been doing that, you know, my, my whole career, or at least I, early in my career, that's what I strive to do. And I, I hopefully got better at it. And, um, you know, three or four years ago, I started covering golf uh, as, as our, you know, as our staff got smaller and we had a, our previous golf writer retired and, you know, we just, uh, they, they said, you know, you want to get in there and want to try it. I had never, I've covered a few things helping out golf riders, but I'd never covered golf as much as I do as extensively as I do now. And I didn't know, you know, I know, I know, I, I know about the game. I, I played the game very poorly, but I've given it a try and I knew enough about it to get out there and cover it. But I didn't know the intricacies of golf and all, but I, I thought that's okay because it's the stories behind these people. And like you said, they watch the match. They know what everybody did on the, throughout the entire match. They know the birdies, the bogeys. They, they know the good shots, the bad shots. So there was a lot, there's, there's so many great stories about, and let's face it, you know, you, sometimes you wonder if half the PGA Tour field lives here. And it's not quite, but it, man, it's not far off. And there's a lot of people living here that a lot of our readers and a lot of people who live here don't know about. They don't know their background. They don't know their story. They just know, oh, they play golf. So I wanted to get into some of those stories when I talk about these players. We and and, and it's not and it's not the guy. Everybody knows about Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. We know their stories. Rory. I mean, there's not much more you can tell about them. But it's like you said. It's like the Denny McCarthy's and the Mito Pereira's and the Aaron Wises and uh, you know Cameron Youngs. Just so many of these great stories that are out there to be told. And I try to, you know, dig a little bit deep into their personal lives when they, when, when uh, I get a chance and, and write about that side of it. And you're one of the few writers from a paper that actually goes, have you covered, you're actually at most of these golf tournaments every week. You're, well, at, you're at a golf tournament co covering and talking to the golfers. Well, it seems like not that, not, not every week, but we have tried to at the minimum, cover the majors for what for we won't i won't i won't be going to the u.s open next week but but uh in the past the before covid basically what i covered was the majors three majors not the british open uh the uh the honda obviously uh the 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 players because i could drive up to jacksonville and then any local lpga we have an lpga tournament we have a, a tour champions tournament here but this year we've expanded it a little bit and uh i was able to go to phoenix because that was a couple of weeks before honda and do some prep work on honda and this past week i was at the memorial because you know it's, they they said if we let's add one more tournament which one do you think it should be and i said you know we weren't going to the u.s open i said the memorial's perfect it's jack's tournament jack's going to be there he talks while he's there so you always can get something from jack um, plus it's still two weeks away, two weeks before the, the open. So it kind of mitigates that not, we're not being able to go to the open this year. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, basically that's it though. I mean, when you think about it, it's only two months, you know, three months, June, July, and August, three months left in the season. Now that the tour champions is third week of August. And that kind of, that kind of ends the, unofficially ends the season, officially ends the season. It starts it, it, for a lot of these golfers. It's a lot of, it's more time off than some. They just don't jump right back into it like some of the others do. So uh, so we wanted to try to catch as many golfers. For me, my golf season basically is January through June. And uh, and then it starts up again next January because it's just once football starts and once the once the the tour season ends, uh, you know, we kind of back off as everybody does in golf coverage. 
Well, but, you know, it's interesting. Why I wanted to bring you on was because uh, we've been talking about this live golf. And as much as Rory said, it's mm-hmm. a non-issue a few weeks. But a couple of months ago, he said it was a non-issue around the Honda time. Uh, but clearly it became an issue uh, two weeks yeah. ago when Dustin Johnson announced that he's going to be playing this. So maybe for our listeners, explain a little bit about, you know, we hear about these golf tournaments that people are playing. And, uh, you know, we just had Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen's play. And you have Tiger and Phil. And they're like, what's so different about this? What's, it, what's so crazy about this well, golf tournament? What's different is the money. <laughs> that's, that's about it. It's in the format. So you know, it's it's as we know, it's it's backed by by the Saudi money, and they are be going to give. They are going to be awarding multi millions. Um, what they have done is they put together an eight tournament. They want originally wanted to go to twelve, but all the backlash and they got off the ground later than they wanted because they were dealing with the the PR nightmare once once Phil Mickelson spoke out and people realized exactly what this, you know, what this regime is like in Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, the Phil, they, they couldn't have got any worse start uh, than they got with, with Phil Mickelson saying what he said, and then kind of Greg Norman doubling down on it. Uh, so that, that, that set it back. So what it is now is it's an eight tournament. Basically, it's a series more than tournaments, yeah, but it's an eight-tournament series in which they will play five of them in the United States, which is another thing most people believe this is Saudi, all in Saudi Arabia. There's one in Saudi Arabia, one in London, which is the one next, this week. Uh, there, there is, um, uh, and there are five. There's, I, I, I believe, I'm not sure, maybe... Uh, maybe uh, uh, Portland, Dubai. Bedminster, Boston, Chicago. Portland, so there's five, there's yeah. five in the United States. Yeah, yeah one other. One other and one Miami. Yeah. And, um, and the last one is in Doral, right? So what it is, and you have 48 players, and he's going to have 12. He's going to have four 12 teams. He's going to have 12 four teams. Uh, four teams made uh, 12 teams made up four golfers, and it's going to be a. He's going. They are going to give out individual uh, money for individual play, and they are going to give out money for team play. And this money is astronomical, and this is just beyond the personal parents' money. Dustin Johnson, it's rumored, is getting up to $125 million to sign a three-year contract with these guys. And next year, they expect to go to 10, and then they'll probably go to 12. So basically, he's committing himself for pro- somewhere around 30 tournaments, eight this week, eight, 10 to 12. And he, Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, those, those players, those are the guys that will um, – that will get uh, Louis Zuspels in Charles Schwartzel. Uh, they will get they will get um, kind of appearance fees, I guess is the way the best way to describe it. Just to show up, they are getting paid. Now the others, when you think about some of the names that no one even knows, uh, they're going to be playing for prize money. But and I wrote about this: Chase Kepka has made eight thousand dollars this year, eight thousand dollars <laughs> in six months. He is guaranteed if he finishes 48th out of 48 to make $120,000. That's the last place prize money. So he's made $3 million in seven years of trying to get on the PGA Tour. $3 million through sponsor exemption tournaments he's been in and um, through the Corn Ferry Tour, tours like that. $3 million. He is going to make, if he plays all eight, which I'm guessing he will, my guess is he'll make five to six million dollars in his eight tournaments. He's made three million in seven years. So that's the reason you're seeing a lot of these names. Most of these names people haven't heard of, but everybody's focused on the big names, and rightly so. And they're going to get mega bucks. But there are 40 names in there, 35 names that people have not heard of that are going to make themselves more money in the, in three days this coming week than they've made in their careers. And I guess the question would be. And the, the tour has said that anybody who plays in this is now not going to be on the PGA yeah. Tour. We're going to get those legalistic aspects and all those things. But there is definitely a risk that maybe they could win. So the big question is when the names came out, there were a lot of rumors who was going to be, who was not going to be. In. Right. But when Dustin Johnson's name came out, I thought I think that was it was a surprise to me. And it was a surprise to a lot of people that Dustin Johnson, who at 37, former number one in the world for 100-some uh-huh. weeks, you know, won two majors, won 20-some tournaments, uh, and still in his prime of his career decides to leave the PGA Tour and go into this fledgling tour. Not only that, but, well, it, it, number one is, it, you're right, his reputation, it, it, what a hit he takes to his reputation. Secondly, 
outside of Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, no one has made more money on the PGA Tour than J- Dustin Johnson. He's made $74 million uh, in earnings. And how, many, I, how, how much times that through, uh, through appearances and sponsorships and his deals with uh, all the sponsors he has. So that's a lot of money. He's lost some of those sponsors already. We don't know what's, what his future is on the PGA Tour now. Well, Jay Monahan is going to determine that. At the very minimum, it's going to be either suspension, fine. Um, how many of the majors will he be invited to? Uh, there's the U.S. Open, the USGA is under under the gun next week to see who see what they do with with uh, Dustin Johnson particularly now that, and there's others, but but he would be the he's the big name to see if they let him in that tournament next week after he's playing in London this week. So that's yeah that that was surprising. You know it's funny because sitting in the, sitting at the Memorial, sitting a couple of weeks at the uh, PGA Championship. You heard people would say, you know, if there's any names we're not sure of, who could go? And Dustin Johnson's name did come up. The other name that came up was Ricky Fowler's. And that's obviously because of where Ricky Fowler is right now right now with his game. And, look, he probably he, he had a rough day today. He's probably not playing the U.S. Open for the second year in a row. I mean, his, his game has really, really suffered and dropped lately. He's down to somewhere around 150 in the world. Not too long ago, he's in the top 10. And there's no sign of him getting that back. So is Ricky Fowler going to say, you know, the heck with it. I don't think I'm ever going to get back to it. Let me just get one more payday. Ricky Fowler would command a huge, uh, just a pay off the top, appearance fee, whatever you want to call it. Similar, probably not $125 million, if that's the number is correct for Dustin Johnson. But it won't be too far from that. <clears throat> and, and does he think, that, you know, for three years I'll do it, and then I'll take my chances, see if they let me back on some tour events if I'm good enough and if not <laughs> you know you just add that 100 million 75 million whatever it is to uh, on top of what he's earned I think he's set for life so that that's the other name now Ricky has said he still hasn't closed the door on this so that's still to be determined whether he goes I don't think there's any other name that I'm, I'm certain there won't be any other name say in the top in the top 30 anyway right now uh, that will go but, but they're, they're trying they're going to keep trying to get some some other you know kind of a names, not quite the big names, but some kind of other names that are still somewhat familiar to 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 get in there and play. Yeah, I think people uh, were surprised. But, where people were surprised about uh, Taller Gooch, who we saw here at the Honda Classic, who's yeah. starting. He's thirty years old. He just got his first victory. He's number thirty-five in the world. You're like, well, why would he jump to this tour? You know, again, you know, we I, yeah. ta- ta- Taller was on our show. We had him on our show. So. Um, but uh, and also Hudson Stafford. So those were some of these younger golfers, not like the forty-year-olds old golfers that maybe like right. the career is about to end. So that if more people like Taller join, then that would be, I guess, a major concern too. Well, and that, and that's the thing. You have there's different categories here, and and like you said, and some of the players said this past week at the Memorial. They said, you know, who are they to judge? Guys, say forty and older, thirty-five and older, who are on the downside of their career, getting one more big payday. Okay, now. Now, again, there's, where that money is coming from is a whole different story, a whole different issue, and there are people going to go have wildly different views on that, and I, and I totally get that. Uh, but when someone like, and I have to go back to Chase Kepka, has made $8,000 this year, and he can make $120,000 just week, this weekend, and that's going to be the minimum, and he'll certainly make, he's not going to finish 48th. And you figure over eight weeks here, he's going to make about $5 million or $6 million, whatever he's going to make. Yeah, who are we to judge? Not you know. I, I know where the money's coming from, and I know what you can say about that money, but he's it's, he's he's going to be playing five tournaments in the United States. There's plenty of people making money from countries that do a lot of things that we don't agree with, uh, and so that's that's their personal choice. I think when people see Dustin Johnson and they see Sergio Garcia and guys like that who have made Sergio's about tenth on the all-time career. PGA money list. When they see guys like that, they start questioning now, is it really worth your reputation? The other guys, do they have a reputation? They don't have a reputation on the PGA Tour. These guys do. And is it, is it really worth it? Because how much money do you need? And that's where the question comes in. So you have the you have those real, those big those big time A-listers. You have the guys on the back ends of their careers. And then you have the guys in the middle who just have not been able to make it. And they're all, for all different reasons, they're thinking one more big payday. 
Can I throw another name out there, Brooks Kepka? Because you just mentioned Chase Kepka, his brother. Brooks, this was busy getting married this weekend, so he wasn't able to, to, to really think about this, the event here. But the idea is that Brooks is friends with Dustin Johnson. They work out together. Um, he's someone, and maybe even Bryson DeChambeau, who perhaps you know had mentioned that didn't slam the door on this. Those are two that I thought, maybe even Patrick Reed also, might consider going to this. Yeah, I don't think Brooks has been Brooks has been pretty outspoken on it. I don't. I I would be really really shocked. In fact, he said some players are gonna. His quote was they would sell out and go. Now, now his brother went, and it's easy to say he's calling his brother a sellout. But basically, he's talking. About his brother's not a PGA Tour player. You know, he he's not on the PGA Tour regularly. He's not a he he, he doesn't have PGA Tour membership. I think he's he's talking about PGA Tour members when he when he when he had that quote back in February. I think it was right, it was right around. Uh, Honda time that uh, some guys would sell out. So I, I would be shocked. I, I don't. I don't know if I'd be shocked. I, I would. I, I'd kind of be shocked if DeChambeau went. Also, I, I. I can't say that I would. I, I. I think I'd be shocked if anybody right now in the top, you know, twenty, twenty-five, twenty to thirty would, went. Uh, that that would be a real surprise because, you know, if they're going to go, then why wouldn't they have gone now? The first event of this week. So unless they. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm just throwing this out. Do they want to play in the U.S. Open and then go? Uh, but then you you know then the British Open. Do they go play in the British Open and then play the last four events or whatever? However many are after the British Open. And I I'm would I sure. would and I would be remiss if I didn't ask this. But the rumor came out that Tiger Woods was at was offered and he said no. Well, but I, I mean, I, you're wondering how yeah. much they would have to offer Tiger Woods to do this. Yeah. But. I, 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 that, does that shock you? I think they offered everybody. And Tiger Woods is probably the first phone call they made. I mean, what bigger coup would that have meant to got Tiger, even if it was like a point zero 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 one percent chance of getting him, which it was, even if it was that low, you know, even if it was that. Um, but yeah, yeah. In with, I, I would, I would believe that every player, say in the top fifty, everybody had to be offered because they were going to take anybody. And and you saw how low that. After those 16 players that are in the top 100, you know, at 60, there's still 34 left. For that. There's still, what, 32 left for that field. You're getting into some a lot of no-names. <clears throat> so, yes, I think they went after anybody they could. So, Tom, if people want to follow you, what's your social media account? What's the best way to, uh, to, uh, to, keep, to keep on what you're talking about with all your commentary about golf and all other sports? Yep. And all my, my, uh, my columns, my stories, my reporting, it's on Twitter at Tom D'Angelo 44 so it's Tom D A N G E L O forty four is my uh, is my Twitter handle and that's basically uh, that's my social media <laughs> that's as far as I've, I've gone <laughs> and um, but that that's right that's right keep everything and that's uh, right that's right uh, opinions occasionally but certainly you can see all my columns and stories there. Well, thank you so and much. Also, Palm, and also PalmBeachPost.com, obviously. Of course, <laughs> go to PalmBeachPost.com sports department sports page. And uh, everything is there too, and the reporting by with all our writers, uh, and we, you know, for a limited staff, we do a heck of a job. And and one thing too, if you want to check out something, the last for two months we worked on a project on the 50 most historical moments in Palm Beach County sports history. That was a lot of fun to work on, and that was published um, a week ago Sunday. It was it was on online about a week and a half ago. Came out in a special section. We can go Sunday in print. And uh, there's a lot of reading there. It's kind of evergreen, you know, always look at it. It's not going to, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fresh uh, for a long time. And we tried to break down or break out 50 historical moments. And um, it was a lot of research and, uh, and it was a lot of fun doing it. and take a look. And if, if you have any, if you think we missed something, let us know. Well, I, Tom, I, I've been following the stories about it. It's amazing. The, with the work you put in, is tremendous. And the historical nature of it for sports is, I mean, this, this region is such a great history. So thank you so much for putting that together. And also thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate you calling me. Thank you. 723, this is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So you think the, this show, Ira on Sports, is in the top 50 Palm Beach County sports myths? <laughs> I think we should check and see if it is. I know you know a ton about this, Ira, so I just want to bring up something that I didn't hear you guys mention. First and foremost, Ricky Fowler makes a lot of sense to me. We've talked about it. Think about when you're in your 20s, you're making a lot of money. You think that money's never going to stop. You start living a certain lifestyle. Now he hasn't got paid in two years. Something tells me he wants it, but what I'd be worried about if I was the PGA Tour is... All these young guys, 
if you're, you know, coming out of college and you, you think, do I want to go be an, uh, on the web.com or on the corn ferry tour for two years, sleeping on couches, not making any money, and maybe not even get to the PGA tour? Or do I want to go make guaranteed money, you know, in, in the live tour? I think that's where the, it's going to hurt them a lot. Well, that's like minor league baseball. Exactly. You know, think about minor league baseball. These players, it's like, well, you think they sign, maybe they sign a whatever, some nice Only contract. the top guys get the million-dollar oh, right. signing bonus. Yeah. And, and and the one thing they brought into this tournament, um, uh, they, they James Piat, who was the U.S. amateur champion, Turk Pettit, who was the 20, 221 NCAA winner, uh, this TK, the, yeah. the 15-year-old from Thailand that won a tournament. I mean, all yeah, Some of the shows, names you don't know are just because they're not at that level yet, but they're growing into it. It's not like they're washed up that never had a career. And now they're going to be able to set, be set for life when yeah. they have an have money now, so they're getting these millions of dollars. I think that's interesting. I also thought, um, you know, as we talked about the European golfers, the Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Martin Keimer, uh, the D- they play a lot on the DP tour and then the PGA yeah. tour. Um, the other thing is that there is an Asian tour, which the Saudi golf the money that sponsors the Asian tour. Yeah. So like when a Kevin Na says, I'm resigning for the PGA tour. Well, that's because he still thinks, you know, he's going to make money from this and he could play in the Asian tour, which he used to play in a lot. Um, the other thing that we didn't bring up, which I thought was really interesting, in 1968, the PGA of America, Nicholas Palmer, all the golfers were part of this PGA of America, which was the club pros. And Nicholas and Palmer said, you know what? Why We don't want to play in these tours with all these club pros. Like, this is ridiculous. We're doing this for a living. These guys go back to their jobs at their, yeah. at their tour. You know, they're teaching lessons and making money. And we're out there. And the, they didn't like all the guaranteed fields for all the club pros and all the money that they were making going back into the club. So they started this organization called the American Professionals Golf Ring. It lasted, like... Three months, because then what <laughs> they finally allowed was they said, okay, now you could become the PGA Tournament Division, which now is we have the PGA Tour, yeah. that group, which is separate. Now, PG of America runs the PGA Tournament that we just saw, one of the majors. Mm-hmm. They also run the Ryder Cup, and then you have the United States U.S. Open, which is run by the USGA, and then you have the Masters and the British Open, which are not run by the PGA Tour. So even if the PGA Tour says you're banned, you can't play, these majors still have the right to let you play in them. Yeah. Dustin Johnson said... I'm playing in the, in the big four if they'll have me. Um, in, interesting stuff. We'll see what happens here. But, yeah, kind of a coup today as uh, Phil, you know, announces that he's going to be in, which we thought he was, but it hadn't happened yet. Let's talk here for a minute about, um, you know, this past weekend's tournament. One thing I didn't realize about Billy Horschel, Ira, he's jacked. I could not believe what shape he's in. He looks better than a lot of other golfers. I'll give him that. I loved his, his question. He led Billy Horschel won the memorial, which was interesting because Jack Nicholas commentates for like two hours on TV. And Horschel, when they interviewed him, he goes, well, I expect to. I'm, a, I'm one of the top golfers in the world. Like he was having this confidence like, wow, yeah. I mean, this is how he was very confident and, and said, you know, I've had some couple bad times, but uh, this is what I expect. I expect to win these tournaments and everything. So he, it was interesting, but a good win. I mean, one is Saturday and Sunday had a, came into Sunday with a five-stroke lead and kept it up. So I thought that was a good win for Horschel. No, I'm, I, and you really don't think of him as someone who's won on the tour seven times. He's got nine total pro wins, seven on the tour. That's that's a respectable, respectable golfer. I didn't realize that. Anything else you want to touch on here in golf before we move no, on? No, just in, as he mentioned, two weeks, the U.S. Open is in two weeks, and we're going to see these golfers. Now, next weekend, this coming weekend, you can't even watch up to watch it on YouTube to watch this tournament in England, and then uh, and then the RBC is on the PGA Tour. And then next week, we'll see what happens with the U.S. The US Open with Dustin Johnson shows up to uh, Brookline to play in Massachusetts, and they say, no, we're not allowing you to play. We'll see. That'll be the interesting thing is what happens when these golfers try to play now in the U.S. Open. Many of them who are are going to be playing in this in the tournament in England, now coming back to play the following week in the U.S. Open. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel at 727. I'm Mike Balsamo. Switch gears to the NBA Finals, Ira. And here we are, all knotted up. How did we get here? Well, game one, uh, this is one of the things where each team, it was, the, it was the, first of all, the key of these both these games have been the third quarter. Uh, Golden State won the first one by 14, and then they won the second game by 21. And if Boston wants to win the series, they got to do something in the locker room at, the, at <laughs> halftime. I mean, some Red Bull, some Monster, coffee, I don't know. But they have not come out well. Um, the Celtics were the first team, this is in game one, were the first team to trail a finals game by 10 or more points after three quarters and win by 10. And they are now 8-2 and two in the road in the playoffs. And the Warriors, which were 21-2 and two in game one in the playoffs, lost a game. Uh, and it was one of those things where the Warriors were – you question about the boards, you know, the equal on the boards. I kept looking at the rebounding numbers. But I think the Warriors, as someone who predicted the Warriors, would win this series easily. I was shocked that they blew that fourth quarter. That was it – was, it, was it was a mess. Um, Golden State, everyone watched the game. Of course, Curry uh, went out super fast in that first game. He had 11 points, and uh, it just was 2014 Golden State. Uh, it was interesting what the Boston tried to do that first was they took Jason Tatum out. 
fairly early in the game, then realizing he the intensity, the enthusiasm, the game, trying to get him getting something. And then the substitutions, you notice that the Celtics now are trying to keep the big guy in there. They take Robert Williams out, they keep Daniel Thyssen. Against the Heat, they actually went smaller. They tried to stay big, forcing the, the Warriors to stay big. Uh, was Warriors were up 32-28 to 28 after one, and then the Warriors went up on an 8-0 run. Uh, then Boston went on an 8-0 run. But uh, it, was, uh, it was like one of those games where you know, it was 56 to, to 54 at halftime. The Celtics were at halftime. Uh, the 23s at the halftime were a record. Curry had 21 points. Uh, it, was, uh, and the, it was like one of those things that Curry started the second half with two threes. Looney had all these offensive rebounds. And then uh, Curry played without a shoe. He got the one basket. Uh, the Warriors won a 7-0 run. They're up by 11. And then Otto Porter, who I love for the Warriors, was playing great. I mean, he is the one who looks like Walt Chamberlain, a small little mm-hmm. Walt Chamberlain. But he, I love his draining threes, playing great. So now they go in to the third quarter. The Warriors are up by 12. It was 38-24 after, you know, they had a 14-point quarter, 30-24. They're up by 12. And I felt that, okay, Tatum is 3 for 15. And then... What happens in the fourth quarter? Boston goes. They make the first seven threes. They make nine out of 12. Curry's on the bench. This is one thing where the Warriors were like a sneak attack. Like, they they close the game out. Like, don't Mm -hmm. keep these players. Like, you see in the playoffs, LeBron used to play 47, 48 minutes. Like, your stars have got to play more minutes. There's two games off between each game. I mean, uh, Jalen Brown was just absolutely tremendous in this quarter. Draymond Green was absolutely horrendous. Um, it was like Clay uh, Thompson, Jordan Poole, and Godala all missed shots to begin the quarter. I question, what is Andre Godala doing there? He's been out for three or four months. I know Makes he's, no sense. he's great, but don't bring him in in this situation. I know he's experienced, but he just, it seemed like this is the fourth quarter. Like, get him some minutes, I guess, first, second, third quarters. Then Jalen Brown makes a two. They cut it to seven with 10 minutes to go. Poole had a turnover. Williams had a dunk pass from Brown. Then Pritchard makes a two. Brown assisted on that. And then Williams, Curry gets in the game. Williams blocked a shot. Then you had Brown with a three-pointer, Brown with a two-pointer, and then White with a three-pointer with a Brown assist. And suddenly it's like Green had a turnover. Green and, and Curry both missed shots. I mean, it got to it got to 103-103. And it's just at that point, the Warriors just didn't score at all. It, it was it was it was ridiculous. I mean, it went from the you know 14, 17, nothing. It was 103-100 uh, Warriors, and then went and the, the Celtics went on a 17-nothing run to end the game. I mean, this is one of the things where with a minute to go, everybody put their substitutes in. Like, who in the world would have ever thought the Warriors just put no, no fight up there at all? They they were outscored 40 to 16 for the quarter. Um, Tatum shot. Three for 17 for the game, had 12 points, 13 assists, a terrible game. Jalen Brown was absolutely amazing. 24 points, five assists, seven boards. I keep arguing with all my friends about Jalen Brown. I'm telling you, I think he's as good as Jason Tatum. I'm not saying he's better, but he's as good as, and I think that could hurt the Celtics because until they realize that Jason T- uh, Jalen Brown is give him the ball, let him mm. go. And I think that's they sometimes Tatum overtake shots, like throw it to, to Brown and make Brown make the shots. Um, Smart had 18 points. And then in the third quarter, you know, that fourth quarter, I uh, forgot to mention, Horford was draining threes. Um, I think it was his career record in threes. Yeah, 20. It? He had six for eight for threes, 26 <laughs> six points. Uh, Smart, four for seven, 18 points. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was really, it was those type of, of, uh, and, and, and white. You know, the, the, uh, the point guard uh, played great and was draining threes. Everybody was making threes. And, uh, you know, he, so it was like one of those things where they played great. And the Warriors just threw away that game. I mean, Curry ended up with 34 points. But, you know, at the halftime, he had 21. So it was the first, I mean, the first quarter, 21 points in the first And what quarter. did he have in the last six? Yeah. Maybe one one uh, fell. He looked like he was in quicksand, kind of. No, he just he he didn't play well there. And Clay Thompson was six for fourteen for fourteen points. Wiggins had twenty points, but Draymond Green had two for twelve shooting, zero for four from three, three turnovers, four points. I mean, as much as we're talking about Draymond Green, Draymond Green, what a terrible game, bad game one. I mean, these games matter, and just to throw that away, I couldn't believe what happened. And uh, that was. It was just, I think Jordan Poole came in. Everyone's like, Jordan Poole, give him max contract. You know, 25 minutes, two for seven, nine points. Just a very bad ending in that fourth quarter. And something that then they had to stew over for a couple days. Like, what happened? What would go wrong on those? So let's go to game two now. Um, I'm starting to get into live betting a little. And if you're unfamiliar with what live betting is, it's, you know, there's a line before the game. And then as the game goes on, you can make bets as well. And I'm telling you, Ira, two minutes into the start of this game, the Warriors jumped to, like, minus 200. And I'm just thinking about, like, the game just started. Why are their odds so terrible? What does Vegas know that the betting public or that they don't want the betting public to, to wager on? I wanted to put money on them. I couldn't justify it at those rates. But what do you know? That was the right call. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, it was so funny because 
as I said, that uh, Boston actually went out uh, to, to the to the lead. I mean, they had they had a nine point lead. I mean, Boston started the game five for five, was playing great. Uh, Jalen Brown was uh, th- had he had thirteen points in like a few minutes. Jalen Brown was so awesome at the beginning of the game, and and just they couldn't guard him. It just was scoring left and right. And then at four forty seven, Draymond Green gets a tactical foul which comes back later. But then I think the key, so that was the number everyone's talking about. And then I listened to all the talking and everything. But at 352, I think the series could have changed because Jalen Brown was going down and Gary Payton Jr., or second, was going up for a layup. And remember, Gary Payton a month ago was knocked out of the Memphis series, went up for a foul a layup, and Dylan Brooks fouled him and injured his elbow, and he's been out. It was a terrible injury. Brooks was suspended a game. So Payton goes up for the uh, layup, and Brown just pulls back, and Peyton misses the shot. Totally misses. Terrible shot. Brown never touches him. They call a foul. He didn't touch him. They call it the second foul. So then suddenly Brown, who was on fire, they put him on the bench. Like, okay, two fouls, whatever. But then once they put him on the bench, he never got going again. And he even said, he goes, it's up to me. He goes, that set me out. So as much as we talk about something happens later in the game, that, that fact that he then went on the bench with four minutes, like three and a half minutes to go, and had to sit there between that and the second quarter, I think that slowed their momentum down because it wasn't normally set to go out that early in the game. What, um, what happened next here? Because it, it was... I, I kept looking at it, and it kept just Warriors extending, extending, extending. Well, War, what had was 35-35 after five minutes. And then Boston went up on to this 40-35 run. Then the Warriors, this is when they took control of the game. They went on a 10-0 run uh, make it to make it 48 and took a lead. But then Tatum came back, so it was 52-50 at halftime. Tatum had 21 points, Brown 15 points, Curry 15 points. Uh, the Celtics were 10 for 19 from three, so they still were hot from the three-point line. You know, they had 20 the last game, 20 in the, 10 in this, and the Warriors were only six for 16. Clay was terrible, one for eight, 0 for four from three. And then, it, then in the third quarter, just um, Warriors going off to a 7-2, you know, 7-2 lead in the second half. Curry went on hot. He had a, a three-pointer, they, then Draymond Green. And then this was the key thing, is that Draymond Green was yelling at the Celtic bench, and Emo Adoku <laughs> got a technical foul yelling at Draymond Green. So Draymond Green was just causing havoc. And the one thing that he was doing was he was drawing fouls. I said this before. I said that when I saw in the Heat series, the, war, the Celtics tend to turn the ball over a lot because Brown and Tatum dribble when there's in the <clears> traffic. And also, they charge. So And also, they commit stupid fouls. Like on these fast breaks, they throw away a foul here. But they only have a few really good players. Like Brown and Tatum cannot afford to take fouls. So suddenly, they're getting fouls. They're getting their third fouls. And that became like an issue in terms of Brown Tatum staying out of foul trouble. I mean, Smart got his fourth foul with a charge by Green, which I think was maybe a charge on Green, not a foul on Smart. But then he's he just like Green was a walking, like getting everybody fouled. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. Curry had another three. Then he had his 11-0 run. It was 87-64. to 64. Um, It was a 19-2 run. And then uh, um, Brad Poole was with, you know, Poole at the end of the quarter had the two big three-point shots. It was 87-64. And I mean, the issue was, the play, the play that everyone's been talking about is when Draymond, when Jason, um, Jalen Brown shot a three and Green went and fouled him on the three. They were on top of each other and then they were pushing and shoving. And now Green should have been thrown out of the game because it was the second foul. And the question is, do you call another technical? It, like Draymond Green is like Dennis Rodman, where they call a quick technical when he just walks on the court and they're like, we're not going to throw <laughs> you out. So whatever, you take yeah. it up to the limit. And then there was a debate. Was it that anyone else they would throw it out, but they're not going to throw Draymond Green out? And they talked about that. I think now Draymond Green, I think Draymond Green's walking a fine line because I think that is makes sense. But I think now they might overreact and just throw him out. And the one thing in Draymond Green, years ago in the, the series against the, Bull, uh, the uh, Cavaliers, when they were down up 3-1 with nine minutes to go, with they're up nine with like two minutes to go in the game. And I said to my friend I was with, I go, get Draymond out because one more technical and he's going to be suspended a game. The rules where he's up to that level. And I thought Matthew Delladova was going to come over and like punch Draymond Green. Just punch <laughs> anything him. to get. But yeah. but it wasn't Matthew. It was LeBron who played. <laughs> the great thing was LeBron went over to Draymond, just threw him on the ground, stood over him, and then Draymond kicked him up. up <laughs> and that, and then he gets that technical, got the technical that then get him on the next game, and then the Cavaliers were able to come back and win the series. So I do think, though, that if I'm the, the Warriors, I'd be very nervous. I think that maybe the league will tell, and these referees are going to say, okay, Draymond, we're going to throw good. It'll be like, what technical or not? He might be out in the first quarter. Who knows? No, but, no, no you're, you're absolutely right. But 
what you said earlier makes even more sense here that the NBA of all sports and especially the referees, it's a knee jerk reaction type of league. So I would not be surprised if his leash is super, super short uh, going into the next game. Right. And you know, the one thing about this game is uh, Tatum, Jason Tatum had 28 points, but he had a minus 36 plus minus. So that means the team, when he was on the court was lot was down 36 points. It was the worst of his career. It was the worst of any player in the history of the NBA finals. So <laughs> it was just terrible because he turns the ball over a lot. He was also uh, missing shots. And then when he missed a shot, he would tend to, to yell at the ref. So give up layups on the other side. Uh, Jalen Brown was terrible. Five for 17, uh, 17 points. But the key thing was Horford, two points. He had 28 the game before. Smart only had two points. Uh, Devin White had 12 points. But it was like they only shot. They were at one point shooting 50%. End of the game, 50 um, um, 37% and had 18 turnovers. And War and Curry was 29 points. Wiggins 11. Green had uh, 9.7 assists. Uh, but the key is Clay Thompson, four for 19, one for eight, 11 points. And you're going to think, well, maybe Clay, like, does Clay have to play great in Florida the Warriors to win? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying he has to play great. He's going to play better than he's playing now. But you know, there's that one game where he's going to score like 40 points. Exactly. And that's going to lead them to victory. But they were able to get, again, I think what Kerr did smart was he brought in uh, Peyton. He put Peyton with Poole. That's how they've been winning there at the end of the season in terms of having that as the second team, the energy, that type of thing. Instead of putting Ian Dalo in, Porter played. And Belicha, their center, he was active, was able to throw it only 15 minutes. But he, uh, but that those minutes were were key to helping them win the game. So I did. I thought Kerr figured it out. I like. I like the. I still like the Warriors. Like I think what we saw the Warriors in that game in that third in the third quarter of the last game. That's the Warriors team. I think they can outrun them. I don't think the Celtics can keep up with them. And I really think the Warriors can win this. I'm going to say they can win in five. I know it does, sounds crazy, but I think they can win the two in Boston and come back and win this. I think the Warriors are – everyone thinks the Celtics are a better team. I think the Warriors are the better team. No, I agree with you. And, and, you know, it is a little crazy to say that it'll be five games, but if it happens, I won't be shocked. I think that Boston has to play near perfect to get wins here. Golden State – just being, I think, the deeper roster has a little bit more. If Clay Thompson does have a bad night, then we have someone else step up and take over his 20-plus points. So I don't know how you could really bet against the Warriors here. And I know some people in the media are saying that they think the Celtics are the favorite from here. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot with pole. It's great, though, but I do like the excitement of that is that if you look at the odds, they're about dead even for the rest of the series. Yeah. So it is nice for that. But I know how some people say, oh, I wish this was a seven-game series. I don't know if I want a seven-game series. I would like, first of all, I want the Warriors to win because I'm saying they're going to win. But also, I like to have close games. I mean, some people say, would you rather have a seven-game series of seven blowouts or would you rather have four really close yeah. K-5 games? I I like to see that, and you hope these games are closer, and you hope at the end of the game, like, we have seen so many NBA playoff games at the end of the game when the reserves are playing, players you've never heard of, who's in the game, it's those, and you want to see at the end of the game, that's where the moments are made. Michael Jordan made that shot against Utah. He was in the game. That was a last-second shot when, when Kyrie Irving and had made his shot, and LeBron blocked against the Warriors. That was at the end of the game. Yeah. Like, you want to see that. You don't want to see a blowout. And, you know, a blowout is okay when you're the home team and you're paying for a ticket. If you're the away team, or, you know, if you're a fan and your team's getting blown out in your house, that's just awful. <laughs> that, you know, you paid money to go see that. Uh, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, on Mike Balsamo. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the Heat here and, and how their season kind of ended and what the plan is going forward? Because there's a lot of people in the national media that have buried this franchise, just like they did all season anyway. Boy, it's like the Heat are done. The Heat were lucky to make it. I mean, again, I, I think Pat Riley, I was interested because Pat Riley said, I'm 77, and someone said, are you planning to retire? And he goes, you and I both can do push-ups right now, and I bet you I do more than you. I think the reporter <laughs> that asked him was like 24, <laughs> whatever. But I think Riley, everyone who thought that Riley was going to leave, is that he's clearly said he's not going to leave. And he also said, we're going to get better, and we're going to be proactive. And then he was he called out players. He said to Tyler Hero, they go, what about Tyler Hero starting? He goes, well, he's got to learn to play defense, then maybe he can play. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, Duncan Robinson, he goes, well, we need a three-point shooter, but he's got to make his threes, and he's got to do other things to be in the game. And he was really critical of these players, but you know he's holding everybody accountable, and and that's the standards. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just in the big move on the right. And look, when they signed Jimmy Butler, I'm like, what? I never saw that coming. And I think when they brought LeBron in, you know, like, I think that's what they, I think Riley likes the fact that he can pull these moves off that no one else can. And if you watch The Winning Time, that TV show on HBO, that's what Riley was when he was, no one even heard of him. That attitude, that feistiness, it's still there. And I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen this offseason for the Heat. Yeah, nobody would say that uh, Pat Riley's not passionate about <laughs> what's going on. Anything else in the NBA you no. want to touch on before we move on? Well, uh, Don, uh, Quinn Snyder uh, from Duke, who I actually knew from Duke, uh, who was a friend of Jay Billis's, who we had on the show last week, but he resigned from Utah after eight years. Yes. I mean, 
uh, surprise. I mean, it was like when they wanted him to stay on, they offered him a contract, but he felt like it was enough. He just had hip surgery, so he felt like, I guess it was time to step away. Now that's the question is, with a retooling, is Donovan Mitchell, their star, going to be there? And Maybe he might come to the Heat, maybe come to the Knicks. The Knicks, knows, maybe. Oh, yeah. whatever. So we don't know. <laughs> but that was one, of the, one, one other big move in the NBA. So let's switch gears here to the NHL, 743 Iron Sports. So in order to get to the Stanley Cup, you've got to win the uh, – in order to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, you've got to win uh, in the uh, semis before that. The Rangers had one game to go to join Tampa here. They hadn't – Carolina hadn't lost on the road all playoffs, Ira. The Rangers did enough in Game 7 to, to move it, to move on. Well, 6-2 win. It was like one of those things where Carolina just seemed to could not do anything on the road but was just dominant at home. And they suddenly the bubble popped on them and the Rangers went in the first period. They scored their goal and that were up 2-0. It just sort of at that point, uh, the Carolina goalie got hurt in the second period, made it 3-0 and just uh, cruised on to the to a fairly easy victory in a game seven, which you thought you were going to be much closer. But uh, a win, you know, it was like one of those things with the Rangers that was that was to go into Carolina when, as we've talked about before, they had not lost at home and only won, and never won on the road. And to pull that victory off in Game 7, very impressive. So we're down to our final four. Let's start in the West. And I'm glad, I feel like West Hockey is really um, giving you some passion for the sport, Ira, because they do play a wide-open brand of hockey. Lots of goals are scored, not very much defense. Game 1 was a perfect example of this one, Ira, as I went down to 8-6, to six, Colorado taking this one. I mean, eight to six. I mean, it was like one of those things where Edmonton scored, I think, in the first second of the game. Colorado scored. Like, <laughs> it was, it was like first it was 19 ba- seconds. It was ba- but it was basketball. It was like one p- would score, and then you're like, they're not even announcing. Like, in hockey, if people don't go to a game, they make these big announcements like who was this co- scored the goal, who made the assist. They were so far behind. Like, they were still, like, they, they, there was like four goals scored before they got to what they had to talk about in terms of what was happening. It was 3 2 after the end of one. Uh, Colorado was up. And then in the period, then period two was even crazy where Colorado went up 6-3 then 7-3 and it was like 7-3 you're like the game's over I'm like I don't know I mean but as much as I you thought were, it was and then it was suddenly <laughs> it was 7-4 and then 7-5 7-6 and then finally Edmonton is there battling at the end with a chance to tie the game and send it to overtime to think that a 7-3 game would go to 7-6 and I, I like what the commentators said they go Colorado is playing stupid I go you have a like you would not expect him like a team that's supposed to win the Stanley Cup if you have a four goal lead you hold on the goal. Like, whether it's a soccer analogy, a football analogy, it's like a football team who's up two or three touchdowns throwing these long passes. You know, you got to yeah. play smart. And I guess Colorado was playing very aggressive. And those, I'm not saying I'm a hockey aficionado and know everything, but it seemed like they were taking risk. The defensive weren't staying and, go- and staying back. And they were really critical. The announcers were just totally critical how they were playing. Well, they've got some very skilled players, and that's what they do in situations like this. That's fine, you know, the 12th game of the season. You shouldn't be doing that. In the you know in the Stanley Cup playoffs, so let's go to Game Two here, Ira, and you're going to see Edmonton wishing they did something to get that Game One win because it doesn't look good from here. Uh, Colorado got three goals in the second period, and then it was over. I mean, Mike Smith played much better in this game, but Colorado just showed. I think that was like this was their perfect game was they were up and put them up two nothing, and now at four, going back to Edmonton to force the Game Three, which is of course a must win. You're down two zero. You're going home. You know you have to win that game. So Game Three opens up with. The best player on the planet, Connor McDavid, doing what he does within the first minute, which was impressive. Edmonton was able to score early in game one and game three, but then not late. And uh, Colorado ended up taking this one, and they've pushed Edmonton to the brink. Yeah, well, that was the Kane, um, the penalty. The key, one of the key points of the game was uh, Evander Kane for um, Edmonton that had a foul, a penalty on Kadri when he pushed him right into the, to the boards. And, you know, I've said I don't watch as much hockey as everybody does, but I, when they had Messi and Chelias on at the, at the end of the intermission and they said that was a bad hit, that yeah. was really a bad hit because he was in a defenseless position. It looked like Kadri now broke his hand and is going to be out. And then they suspended now Kane for game four on that hit. But it was a five-minute major, but they actually were able to not score in that five-minute major. So that was, it was sort of a benefit to Edmonton. But, again, they were really critical of Kane. They felt it was a cheap shot. It was to see Messi and Chelius and all these people and all these other announcers I've heard, no one's really defended Kane on that. He's had a history of some of these weird type of yeah. plays. And, he's not very well liked around the and that was, and, that, but, and he's a star player for their team. So not only does he have a bad hit, but he's also one of their stars. He's not like a goon out there trying to do something. So, um, But then Colorado was 1-1. And then in the second period, Mike Smith started getting smashed, everything. They got his 2-1. And then uh, Edmonton scored a goal with uh, 11 minutes to go, make it 2-2. And then Confer, then finally then the game, Collar was able to score the goal, the Confer with that great drive at the end of the game, make it, and so they took a three nothing lead. Let's go to the Eastern Con. And I had said on this show, I, I predicted the West being a five game series. It might not even, and we might just see four. They could wrap this one up tonight, starting out in just about twelve minutes. 
Let's go to the East, Ira, and I don't think many people gave the, Ran- the Rangers much of a chance here. I, as a Ranger fan, was not giving us that much of a chance, but, man, they came out firing in game one. Well, I think one of the keys was 6-2, but Valzuzletsky, Val- Val- I'm sorry to say <laughs> the name, the Tampa goalie. had a hun- Andre. Uh, Andre, I should call him Andre? <laughs> yeah. So, Andre. Uh, so Andre had 184 shots in the playoffs so far. Of the 184, he only gave up four. In this game alone, in the first 24 shots, he gave up four. So, it's a, you know, nine times. It's just like what was happening. And I, I, I'm asking you as a Ranger fan who's watching this, what happened to Tampa in that first game where that was that was certainly not the Tampa team that we remember? What happened in game one was the, Tampa's extremely talented on the top two lines. And, and their third and fourth lines, like most teams, are not very good. The Rangers' third line is made up of the number one, our number one draft pick from four years ago the number two overall draft pick from two years ago, and the number one overall draft pick from last year. They call it the kid line, but you were able to see how much faster, how much more they wanted it. Philip Heedle, who had, I believe, uh, eight goals all regular season, has seven so far in the playoffs. Um, they just look faster and better than, the, than the, the other lines on Colorado, and they're able to take advantage there. So then all the Rangers had to do was shut down the two or three guys like Nikita Kucherov, Steve Stamkos, that blew up in game three, shut them down, and they get themselves a nice easy win there. They got easy win. And then the second game, um, I thought that second game was funny. was they had a fight on the face-off. It was also one of those, <laughs> like, like, a, like a Will Ferrell film. And, and usually, They weren't happy about a hit in game one. So, so usually they would, they, would have, they would fight on the face-off, and then they would give both, both guys would go to the penalty box. But they actually only called the penalty on the Rangers, yes. and Tampa scored on that. Yeah. And Tampa, the Ranger fans are horrendous. They're all telling me this is the worst <laughs> thing in the world. And they're saying, well, whatever. But it was like they wanted to send a message, and they, they interviewed some of the guy, like the Steve Javi, and he said, well, in this case, they just, they really want to stop this. It wasn't like they wanted to make sure this wasn't going to happen. But I know my friends who are Ranger fans were furious. That was like almost giving Tampa a goal to start the game. It, it, it's essentially what happened. And I, I have to assume they said something to Reeves before the game. Like, if you go start a, a penalty, I mean, if you go start a, a, a fight as soon as the game starts, we're giving you a penalty. Like, they, they dropped the puck and they started fighting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> another thing is, they, you know, the Rangers put him on, that guy's a fourth liner. They put him on the ice to start the game. So that's when you know. I remember back in the 90s, the Flyers and like teams like the Flyers and the Rangers would line up, and the, they wouldn't even have their gloves on. Like, <laughs> drop the puck. We know what's about to happen here. Um, those, that was you know a different day and age. But I think that was why, because they brought out the goon, and then they let him go on the opening faceoff. But either way, Rangers pulled this one out. And a lot of this goes back to Igor Shosturkin, the Rangers goalie, who's going to win the Vezina Trophy, the award for the best goalie in the league. He's playing great through these two games. Yeah, and then then we get to game three, and that was one where then both goalies played great. Yes. Yeah, that first period, both goalies great, great. And uh, uh, You got to see an example of what Tampa Bay is, though, in this game because they were not the Tampa Bay that there's, that's one, two straight Stanley Cups, Ira. You saw the way they played. And when they just needed a goal, like they needed a goal with, you know, a minute left in the in the third period, they manufactured one. And that's but, the same thing they did to the Panthers. And the Rangers are up 2-0. Yeah. And they're still, my friends who are Ranger fans, they're part of, you saw in Central Park, they had the screens out. I mean, yeah. there the party was going on. They're up 2-0. And the, the Rangers get a penalty. Tampa scores to make it 2-1. Yeah. People do not like that penalty. Yeah, the, all, all, oh, the, the, the first four goals were all power play goals. So you... You kind of knew when someone went to the box, get ready, because we're probably going to see something. Jacob Truba, who's had an amazing season for the Rangers, good playoffs, committed two bad penalties. And both were scored on. He's he's our best defender. And, you know, you have to hope that he's a little bit more cautious than that. But at the end of the day, they're stupid penalties, and we got buried, you know, for them. But I, I, I know people are hating on Truba today. He's still our best guy, and he's been playing great, so I'll give him a little bit of credit here. But Shesterkin stood on, stood on his head again here in this game. He was facing shots the entire time, and that was a barrage at, at one point. So I'll give the Rangers you know, credit for what they've accomplished so far. Game four is a must-win for the Rangers, I would say, because they think if Tampa wins again, they're just going to steamroll from here. Yeah, I mean, this playoff hockey is tremendous. I mean, as I said, it's great. I love the fact how it, it it's not going truly against basketball that I have now games because now we're in the finals that, like, tonight I could just watch hockey, don't have another basketball game to watch. So I love the fact that that's worked out well, and now we're going to be alternating, and you're actually going to be – it's going to be the off thing. So you'll be able to watch the Ranger-Rays series without a basketball game competing against it. And I think that's – I wish they would do this in the future and sort of not having them go exactly against each other the entire time. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Even if you're the NHL, move your game 
when the NBA is on. Why not? Well, they did on <laughs> Sunday where they had the Ranger game start at 3 o'clock yes. and then the basketball game was Sunday night. So that was that was, it worked out perfectly to have the hockey game in the afternoon and the basketball game at night. So, Ira, I'll tell you what I didn't do this weekend. I didn't run out and chain myself to any nets at tennis matches. But apparently that was a thing. But around that, we had some pretty impressive tennis. I know you were into it. Wow. I mean, it, this was a historic match. And that's sort of like why I didn't go to the game on Sunday is because the rumor was that Nadal... I mean, he's been getting injections. He has a uh, problem with his foot that's been a long-time problem. It's getting worse, where they actually had to numb his entire foot. Now, how someone go out and play four hours and play tennis with a numb foot? This isn't crazy. I mean, he, Nadal is He said it was like his foot was asleep. His foot was asleep. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I just want to, again, I'm going to criticize the friendship one more time. You have all the top players in the world that are, you put in one side of the draw. There's two draws. I mean, he understands there's one versus two. Well, you have, you should put, they should have had Nadal one and uh, uh, Djokovic one, Nadal too, but they put Nadal in one side, Djokovic in one side, Carlos Alvarez in the in Alcaraz in one set, and Sasha Zarev. They put the four best favorites in the tournament in the one side, and the bottom half there's nothing. So you're left in the final, which was a nothing final, which was ridiculous. So um, because Titsipas and Medvedev, who were the number two and four seed, they both were knocked out you know before the quarters and uh, and didn't even make it to the quarters. So that it's like why in the world can the French not? It's how draws are made. Like you're supposed to say who's one, who's it what, makes sense to me. I just can't understand it but in the top uh zero beat alcaraz which is a big upset that he won this and nadal it beat djokovic 6-2-4-6-6-2-7-6 absolutely amazing nadal wins the first set 6-2 took like an hour for the first set the second set joker won 6-4 nadal was uh, was up actually 3-0 you're thinking well he might run away with this Djokovic comes back and wins that and uh and uh and djokovic ended one winning winning that 6-4 third set nadal 6-2 pretty cruising along very good but in the fourth set, Nadal was broken 2-0, and actually um, Djokovic had three set points. So to take it to a fifth set, and Djokovic was playing great. But Nadal, this is this fourth set was in another level. I, I've watched Nadal play his whole life. I have never seen anything what he played because he broke back at 5-4. They go to a 6-6 on the tiebreaker, and we talk about this all the time. And I remember, I guess Novak Djokovic did not lose this match. Rafael Nadal started hitting these balls. He hits one where the ball is <laughs> it's on the back of his, his, his racket. He chips it back. Djokovic hits a winner against 99, 90. Every person who's ever played tennis, he would have been a winner on. Yeah. Nadal comes back on the other side of the court. He was touching one side of the court, came back, touched the other side of the court, and hit a winner. And not just a winner. The ball flew like 110 miles an hour. I have never, the, the amount of pace he was getting on the shots, how he was playing, the pressure. We talk about people performing, the Jordans in the world when they pressure, Tigers. That is what Nadal is. The more pressure, the harder he hits and the more accurate he is and the better he plays. You could just say, okay, your, your life depends on this. You have to win this point or you'll be dead. I'm going to put it on Nadal because he's just going <laughs> to play the greatest shot of his life. Everyone else who like is careful when they're playing in matches and they want to just coast to win, he goes for it and he is amazing. And that win over Djokovic was unbelievable. I mean, Djokovic said, look, I played. He didn't play bad. Nadal played out of this world. And then in the semifinals, Nadal played Sasha Varev, and it was 7-6. He sh it, Sasha Zarev was playing great. Nadal wins the first set 7-6. Then it was 6-6, six, six, and Zarev uh, twist, turned his ankle and actually sprained the ligaments of his ankle and had to retire for the match. It was a great match. Three hours for two matches, for two sets, and Nadal ends up winning that and then cruising in the final. He played Casper Ruud, who is... So they train together and they play hit all the time. And Root says that uh, that he usually lets him win. <laughs> Root was joking around <laughs> with that, but it's like Nadal has been his idol. He's watched every one of his matches. There's pictures of like him going to Nadal playing in the French with Rude like in the top level, like taking a picture of himself. I mean, he is like there. He ended up losing six three, six three, six zero. But uh, it was just a tremendous. It was fourteenth uh, French Open championship. He's now won twenty two majors. Djokovic and Federer has won twenty, and just Nadal, I mean, but the performance. I love watching Nadal play because. I just have never seen one play better than that. Like, he's playing, he plays tennis. It's Tiger Woods. Like, you can argue, well, who won most majors? Who won this? And even though Nadal has won the most. But when you see him play, you're like, no one else hits tennis balls like that. At his age, he's 36 years old. And he's playing, he's beating 23-year-olds and 24-year-olds, just killing them. And, and like you said, when you've got top players in the world not even being mad at their own performance. I played as good as I humanly he's as good as I possibly could. He's 20 majors. Yeah, I played as good as I possibly could. There was just no beating Nadal today. And That's was, a real compliment. And it was fun to watch the match. I mean, 
while they're playing, Hugh Grant, who's the, was, the actor, was like right behind. So every time you saw Nadal serve, Hugh Grant was there. The King of Norway was in the first row because Root is from Norway. Then you have Larry David, who I didn't even know, recognize until they put it out as Larry David. It was just yeah. it was crazy how they kept bringing him. And then they put, what I love about this is they put the trophy right there in the behind where they serve. Like, it's right sitting there. Like, I think they should do that for the Super Bowl. Like, put the Super Bowl trophy, like, hanging in the center or, or this NBA Finals. Like, don't hide it back. Like, put the Stanley Cup, like, right there where people could see it. So I think that was Ira, cool. you would love WWE. Because they love that. <laughs> well, you, know, you, need, you need a that's ladder to get up well, to the it. ladder match where they have to go get the belt. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the women's side. And obviously, the story out of this is going to be Sweetek. She's amazing. But how about local girl Coco Goff? I mean, we've talked about her briefly on this show and in the national media, but I think she really put herself in the spotlight and I think moved up to number 13 in the world on the women's side. Goff beat Steven 7562 from America. I mean, the Americans did fantastic getting there. And Sweetek beat uh, Pagula 6362. And it's interesting about Pagula is Jessica Pagula, she and Goff play doubles together. And I like the fact that Goff does play doubles because she's so young and she gets to play this. And I think it's improving her game. But I... I watched Goff play this whole... Goff had problems with double faults, mistakes. She's only 18. She played... She is improving tremendously. I can't wait for what she's going to do the rest of the year um, in, in in the U.S. Open and Wimbledon. But she is... She is going to be. She's going to win. Like this match we saw between Sweetick and Golf. Sweetick's twenty years old. Golf is eighteen. So it's not like these old timers that are whatever. You expect them to play like Djokovic and Nadal that many times. But Sweetick won six one six three, and she is just amazing. First of all, she flies around the court. She is so fast and she hits the ball so hard. And she's now won thirty five matches in a row. And it's just dominating her second major. But I can't wait to see how she plays on Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, too, because she's clearly now this number one player who's so much better. But, again, to see Goff play so well, we're just waiting for the next, like, the next great player could be Swiatek, but the rival could be Goff. This could be the Djokovic-Nadal, like, Federer-type rival we've been looking for, waiting for in a long time in tennis. Got a, yet another minute or two here left here on Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's uh, focus on horse racing here, Ira, and... Very disappointing. For the first time, I've been following horse racing for about 15 years, and I've never seen the winner of the Kentucky Derby not run in the Preakness Stakes. That's exactly what happened. But we are going to see Rich Strike, your Kentucky Derby champion, going in the Belmont. He's not going to be the favorite, but I think that this is going to be a race you can make a little bit of money on. Well, I think Rich Strike's at 9-2. to two. The other one is Mo Donical, was fifth in the Derby, but was uh, Todd Pletcher horse, trained by Todd Pletcher, and people feel has been bred for this long distance and looking for that. We the People is a 7-2, and two, the second favorite. It won the Peter Pan, which is a race that's run at Belmont, so it's used to running yeah. at the Belmont, not mile and a quarter, but a mile and an eighth. And uh, Creative Minister was third of the Preakness. But the horse that a lot of people are talking about is Ness. Ness was second, is a filly, was second in the in the Oaks. And it's Curlin's daughter. Everyone remembers the great horse, Curlin. Uh, and I remember I was at the Belmont. I've been to, I think, I think I've been to like 13, 14 Belmonts. And Curlin was running and uh, had, uh, there was a course, Philly called Rags the Riches. And Rags the Riches, where they walked the horses, was just prancing all along, like really happy and everything. And Curlin was the favorite in the race. And Rags the Riches ended up, I think, distracting Curlin and ending up the race. So it's interesting that now Curlin's daughter, who's now trained by Todd Fletcher too, along with uh, Mo Donegal, is one of the favorites to win uh, the Belmont. So it'll be an interesting race, but certainly not with the American Pharaoh Justify Triple Crown the, the ramifications. Well, I, I host another show here on the station about horse racing and stuff like this. And the guys who I do the show with, do, you know, they're professional um, handicappers. They said, when we did a, a show about the Kentucky Derby, they said, I'm not... Like, I like Modonagle as a horse. I'm not touching him in the Derby. I'm betting him in the Belmont. They said that five weeks ago. And, of course, Modonagle comes out as the favorite. But they said the same thing about Ness now. Todd Pletcher doesn't put a horse in a race if the horse has no shot. He's not one of these guys who just wants to hear his name called. So they think Ness might, if you're not going to get a win, maybe for second place if you're trying to make a little cash here. Um, what's going on in racing? Well, is a NASCAR Joey Logano won the race at the Worldwide Tech Race at Gateway, which is interesting about this race course. It was this one guy bought this old racetrack and, and and spent millions and millions of dollars and actually made it a NASCAR race, which is pretty cool. We just bought this old racetrack outside St. Louis. They play, they run in Sonoma the next week. Uh, Indy Grand Park, Indy Grand, Indy Car in Detroit Grand Prix, Will Power won. And next week, the Formula One goes to Azerbaijan, which is also a really cool race. It's going to be an early 7 in the morning start. But those are the, uh, with the three things in auto racing. Um, I do want to say, I want to get to this. <laughs> we were talking before we went on air. And normally I ask you here, what are you going to do You know, this week? What's your plans? 
you said to me that this is like something you've never really seen before when it comes to the NBA Finals. You're telling me what the scenario is, and I think it's preposterous. So why don't you fill everyone in on what it's going to take to be at these games? Well, I, I'm not going to go in the total dollar amount, but I have. Now, it is Super Bowl level. I, I, I felt the tickets were going high last year from Milwaukee and Phoenix, but I can't believe the ticket prices for this for Boston. And I just, it's, it's simply you're waiting when they first were announced and they actually have just gone more up higher in prices. I don't know who's affording. Like it's one thing to spend a lot to sit around the court, but upper deck to have these prices. uh, It's just simply crazy. And uh, I just, I'm just in shock and golden state. It's, it's not any cheaper in golden state. So you're not fine there to get it. But I just, I've been, I've been to golden state for, for not for finals, but I've been there for for Easter Conference finals, and and it, it, it never I never thought that market was. I mean, I was just at uh, Tom Brady's game, you know, and sat on the fifty yard line. Like it's not just the market. I was at the Yankee Red Sox game. I, this the, what's happening in the NBA and these ticket prices is crazy. I just couldn't believe the pricing. That's what I want to know: is who's paying it? Why you know if, if you're a real basketball fan, you don't want to sit in the last row. So why would you pay an exorbitant amount of money to not even be able to really see the game? It just doesn't make sense. To I, me. It's it's something that I don't know, and I, I saw it again. I saw it last year. I've been to fifty five NBA Finals games, so I've been to my share of NBA Finals games all around and everything. And I saw a little with Milwaukee and Phoenix where I thought the pricing started to get high, but it's nothing. The pricing there, at least I'm sitting in. I was sitting in Phoenix in the in the lower bowl at a at a reasonable price. These prices are on another level, and I just don't know who in Boston. It's not like I mean I understand if it was New York maybe, but I just never thought Boston is one of those towns where I told you I sat right by no plate for the Red Sox Yankees. I was just at the Brady game when the Brady returned, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe how cheap I paid for 50 yard line tickets for that game. So I just cannot understand how this game again is just. I mean I didn't think the Celtics were. I mean they're popular, but it just it's crazy. <laughs> so if you want to know where Ira ends up, follow him on social media at Ira on Sports all across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're out of time on behalf of uh, I want to thank so much to Tom D'Angelo of the Palm Beach Post. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.